Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Plyme and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Hello. Hi, Diana. Hello. <laughs> I like that every week it's this awkward, like we do our introduction and then we both just stare at each other for half a second and we, then talk at the same time. We need to come up with a better plan. <laughs> Uh, you know, you would think after this long, we would have figured something out just sort of naturally. But Well, and you know, it would, it's funny because we've also never discussed it off air. Like We no. never remember <laughs> that this is a situation. <laughs> no, we usually talk about your eyes rolling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although I forgot to watch this time because I got distracted by my phone. I had my eyes closed. Thank you. Oh, so then you probably didn't roll your eyes. I don't know. I bet they tried. They yeah. probably just made some weird bug-eyed face instead. Man, why didn't we record video on this call? Have you seen what I look like right now? <laughs> That's why. <laughs> you, you look like pebbles from the Flintstones. Exactly. With your bright red hair and your little, like, tiny pigtail on the top. My tiny, <laughs> tiny pigtail on the top. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <sighs> My life is magical. <laughs> It is. My body is a wonderland. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So how's your week? I I mean, it just started. Um, Yeah, that's depressing. Thanks for that. I had forgotten that it was only Monday. Yeah. Part of me was like, well, surely it's Wednesday. No. I think we need to abort this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting depressing. Yeah. And also, it makes no sense. Because actually, it's, it's Thursday. Well, in the future world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In crime crazy world. That's right. There are no days. Do you know what else is going on in crime crazy world? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, crime crazy is sponsored by Courtney Ellis. Woohoo! And David Hatt. Woohoo! And... And. 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 Who? We have a new sponsor. I already Paul Schrader. Awesome. Thank you, Paul, who I, I don't know, but I assume is a real person. I also assume also might be Schroeder. Not sure. Sorry, Paul. Okay. Well, Paul, Paul listens. And so he can get in touch and we can correct his name because we're going to shout him out every, every week. month. Every week. <laughs> That's a weekly one. That's right. You have to say it every time. That's true. Um, and I do. Have we done an episode in September? We have not. Because we're way behind. We're super behind. We, yeah. So, no, we are now recording on the first of the month. So Ish. I would like to do, yeah, or so, a special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who are... Brian Williams. Woohoo. Courtney Ellis. Woohoo. David Hatt. Woohoo. Eric Boscana. Woohoo. Jess Lee. This noise is getting annoying. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> Patty Snow. Yay. Paul Schrader. Woohoo. Peg Poole. Yay. And Rebecca Manners. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. Yay. <laughs> I'm going to come up with something new for that, too. That's it, just comes out the first time and then I, I feel like I have to do it after every name it's cool that is a great list Diana oh my god it is a great list 
If you would like to be part of this wonderful list and receive a shout out, um, you can check out our Patreon at Patreon. Oh my God, Patreon.com slash Crime Crazy. Uh huh. I got all my punctuation in one word there. <laughs> or you can go search for Crime Crazy Podcast. All patrons get a monthly shout out on the show and all of the other cute things that Aaron has put together there. It is true. And the other option, if you would rather, is to go on um, our website, crimecrazy.com, and go to buy me a coffee. And you can buy us coffee. Or donuts. Or donuts. Or whatever. Or, um, I mean, this one says donuts or coffee. So that works. (laughs) Um, Do you know why my Monday is pretty great? Why? Because... We have two new reviews, although they're not new. They came in while we were having a hiatus and vacation and whatnot. Oh, right. Because, yeah, you guys don't know this, but we really haven't recorded in like a month. Oh, yeah. We now you pre- know. <laughs> we pre-recorded stuff for vacation, and then last week was a situation. Oh, God. Last week was rough, guys. Yeah. It was no good. Uh, so but anyway, tell me, reviews, tell me about the reviews. <laughs> happy reviews. We have a review from LJR 2013. Awesome. Thank you. I'm just assuming that this is all good news. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, and wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything else. Th- well, no, I would not mention it at all. And PMS12, which is an excellent username. <laughs> um, so... Funny story. Oh, God, you know this person, don't you? (laughs) I don't know this person, (laughs) but both of the middle schools in the county that I just moved from were, they both started with a P. And so both of them, their initials were PMS. So not only could you not distinguish between the two middle schools in the county, but also both of them had the initials PMS right around the time when kids figure out what the hell that means. Oh, my God. I know, right? (laughs) You just lived in such a weird place. You know, it was like another dimension. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. So. so if you would also like to get a shout out, which are sometimes less rambly, uh, please rate and review us on iTunes, or your podcast catcher of choice. We do shout out for all reviews. But we like the five star ones the best. Yes, we do. And of course, you can follow Crime Crazy on all the social medias at Crime Crazy Pod or check out our website, which has all of it conveniently linked for you at CrimeCrazy.com. Also, also, stickers. Stickers. If you uh, email us, we will send you stickers. We need to order new stickers, Diana, because guess what else is new this week? Um, I got some new clothes this morning. Well, I got some new clothes yesterday, but they were actually <laughs> just your clothes. Um, no, the <laughs> as were the ones I got this morning. <laughs> uh, we have new art. <gasps> it's so cute. It's amazing. So, uh, big shout out to Jess at Everything's Awful Forever Pod, uh, <laughs> who has done more amazing art. And this time, we are not in jail, guys. <laughs> this time <laughs> this time however what we are doing we apparently suck at it <laughs> because when you see the art you'll understand yes it is but fantastic it is so great uh also there's a little hidden surprise there for you <laughs> <laughs> 
So, good week all around. Yeah. Much better than last week. So far. Yes. yes. Don't, why? Why? Why would you go there? Well, it's because Monday. we, we are only 20%. <laughs> we are only 20% through the week. So far, it's already better than last week. <laughs> That's true. It's already better than all of last week. Yes. Art reviews, Aaron. patrons, stickers. So, yes. Aaron. Yes. Did you learn anything? I did. <gasps> I learned a couple things, and I am at this very moment making up my mind which one to tell you. Okay, I, I figured it out. Okay. So I'll tell you the other one in a couple weeks. <laughs> um, so I learned. All right, actually, let me start with a question. <laughs> that is a yawn, not a question. How come it didn't make you yawn? Are you a sociopath? What's going on? It's making me yawn again, too. Oh, God. <laughs> it's a chain reaction. So, Diana. You're going to have to do an outtake at the end of the episode with that. No, this relates directly to my question. Oh, it was an intentional shit. yawn. Oh. <laughs> Check you Did out. Did your eyes water when you yawned? Um, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Do you know why that is? No. Never fear. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. <laughs> <laughs> the end. That's it. You have to go look it up. No. Oh, um, so there are a couple of reasons why your eyes would water when you yawn. Okay, cut it out. <laughs> are you talking about it? <laughs> we need to post a poll on Instagram and Twitter to find out how many people yawned through the beginning of our episodes. Yes. <laughs> they're on their morning commute and everybody's like, whatever they're listening to, I don't want it. <laughs> There are a couple of reasons why your eyes would water. So, um, first of all, when you yawn, your whole face, like all of your facial muscles practically are engaged in that, right? And it stretches and it your eyes will generally close, although you can yawn with your eyes open. And <laughs> um, when you do that, it puts pressure on your eyes and it can it can cause you to tear up a little bit, right? It just sort of pushes everything out. Um, but the other mm. reason is, and it's a little bit more complicated. This is me simplifying it because it turns out tears are made up of like three layers and all of these things go into it and blah, blah, blah. But you have your tear duct, right? Mm-hmm. And when you yawn, so your tear ducts are constantly putting fluid out over your eyeballs. And when you yawn, that gets a little bit pinched off. So that flow is like momentarily frozen, right? And then when you stop yawning, it all is allowed to to release, which causes like excess eye liquid. Mostly the watery part, which is less gross than the mucus and the oil. (laughs) (laughs) So... So is this all related? Because I recently learned that not everybody tears up when they pee. I don't tear up when I pee. What? I 100% do. Okay, so maybe these are not related processes. So um, funny that you should bring up peeing, though, because when I researched this, I also... Do you shiver when you pee? Do you ever pee and then you like, um, no, get a not- whole body chill? Um, no. I mostly get body chills, like my ear feels like it needs when to, you pee? I don't know, it's weird. 
No, no, not when I pee. But like that's when I get the oh, whole body okay. shivers. Okay. Like I feel it in my ear. It's like, oh my god, that's not normal. Um, so <laughs> no, 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 I don't feel pee okay. in my ear. I mean, your eyes water. <laughs> like your body's like, we're releasing all the fluids now. Yeah. Go. Um, so actually it could be related because one of the there are a couple reasons why you would shiver when you pee and a lot of people do or like and they might not do it every time but um one it's a change in body temperature right you're all of a sudden releasing all of this heat which and Mm. also it often will lower people's blood pressure drastically just momentarily so i mean that could be related to your eyes watering when you pee Maybe. So there's all that all that biology stuff, human anatomy weirdness. Bodies are so weird. All right. So question for you. Yes. Do you know about any crimes you want to tell us about? Oh, my God. So many. <laughs> Pick one. Okay. Here okay. it is. So like a million years ago on Crime Crazy. Like when you were born a million years ago? No, like a million years ago. The last time I told a story. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the last time I told a story on Crime Crazy, I talked about one of the most famous murders in Chicago, the murder of John Dillinger. Mm, yes, and that was after you ruined H.H. S- H. Holmes for me. <sighs> Go ahead. So I don't know how we got to talking about serial killers yesterday, but yesterday, Liam and I are talking about serial killers, as you do with your 10-year-old. <laughs> and he said to me, Mom... Why did you ruin H.H. H. Holmes for Aaron? Yes! I love your kid. Because <laughs> <sighs> you're a terrible human being. No. True story. I would like to point out again that I also ruined him for me. Yeah, and all of our listeners, way to go die. I'm really hoping that people didn't listen to that one but i know i don't we did. got we got reviews and a patron after that happened so apparently uh, everyone's cool with it <laughs> i'm still not cool with it i'm sorry all right go ahead anyway we're not going to talk about hh homes today but we okay. are going to stay in chicago and we're going to talk about murder because why not mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about william hirons the lipstick killer Ooh, I have heard of this. I don't know anything about it, but I've heard that term. Probably from Criminal Minds. Probably. William George Hirons was born in Evanston, Illinois on November 15th, 1928. So a few weeks after you? Uh, or before, before you? Before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, April. Okay. <laughs> his family wasn't very well off and his parents' marriage wasn't very happy when they argued a lot about money. Uh, the Depression didn't help things in that regard. No. Nor did Father George Hiron's habit of taking his buddies out bowling when he got paid. Oh, yeah. I assumed bowling was a euphemism for drinking. Well, uh, isn't it? Uh, I thought that was like one in the same. Well, Drinking no ever, and nachos. Like nothing ever mentioned that he had a problem with the bottle. So I don't think it was like problematic, except that they didn't really have the money for him to be doing that. Right, right. William was described as quiet, mischievous, and described by babysitters as a handful. (laughs) That's my daughter. Except not quiet. He was a bit of a loner. He had lots of interests. He liked to work on model airplanes. 
He liked to fix old clocks and tinker with mechanical things, and he liked to draw. His mother once found him on the garage roof with cardboard wings on his arms, about to leap off to see if he could fly. She I yelled, love this case. <laughs> oh, yeah. She yelled, and he did not attempt the flight. Mm, smart. Yes. When William was 11, he told his mother that he had witnessed people having sex, and <gasps> she told him that all sex was dirty and led to disease. Oh, that's healthy. <sighs> oh, it gets disease better. Disease and Cons- or him. Yeah. Consequently, when he later kissed a girlfriend, he burst into tears, threw up, and ran away. Oh. So around this age, uh, between his mom telling him that sex was terrible and the kissing of the girlfriend, which I believe happened later, he began stealing, describing it as a hobby and something to keep him busy and out of the house while his parents fought. Poor kid. At the age of 13, he was arrested for carrying a loaded gun, and that led to a search of the Hiren's home, which turned up a whole bunch of other items in an unused storage shed on the roof of a nearby building. In there, they found, like, a lot of guns. He liked guns. Furs, suits, cameras, radios, and jewelry. Wow. He admitted to 11 burglaries. He was 13. That's, he's kind of gifted. Like, oh, <laughs> I mean. yeah. So he admitted to 11 burglary, burglaries and he was sent to the Gibalt School, uh, which was described as a home for wayward boys mm. for several months. Not too long after he came back from that school, he was arrested again for theft, and this time he was sentenced to three years at the St. Bede Academy, which was a private four-year college prep academy in Peru, Illinois. Now, what I could not figure out is, how did he not go to juvie? Right, and instead go to... Went to a pretty fancy school. Right. That that was my... Yep, that was going to be my next question. No explanation there either, because his parents certainly couldn't afford to send him. Right. So, I don't know. So, while he was there, he excelled at his studies. He was very, very bright, to the point that he was encouraged to apply to the University of Chicago Special Learning Program, which sounds a lot like what we would now call post-secondary option. Okay. Which would allow him to skip the rest of high school and start college classes for the 1945 fall term. He was 16 and he wanted to become an electrical engineer. Initially, he moved back home and commuted to college, but that was a real pain in the ass. So he moved on campus into Gates Hall. And his parents, of course, couldn't help him with any of the costs of college. So he had jobs as an usher and a docent at the university to pay his way. Okay. Uh, by the way, docent is like my dream retirement job. Really? Oh my god, yeah. At like a historic home? Yeah, I can see you doing that. Oh, I yeah. would be bored to tears, but you have a blast. Oh yeah, it'd be great. He still kept stealing, and it might be tempting to think that he was stealing items to sell and pay his tuition, his bills and all. It seems that he never sold anything that he stole. Hmm... He did occasionally take cash, um, but not always and not everything that was there. And he eventually saved 
quotations, enough to buy two $500 savings bonds. He also acquired about $7,000 in stolen war bonds that he scraped the owner's names off of with the surgical equipment that he'd stolen and kept under his bed. Wow. Yeah. I, okay. You made a noise when I said that he never sold anything that he stole. What was that? That was a bad sign of trophy keeping. Ah. True. True, true. On June 5th, 1945, Jacqueline Miller came home for lunch to the apartment that she shared with her mother, Josephine Ross, and her sister, Mary Jane. The apartment was disturbed. Drawers were open, chairs were knocked over, shit was all over the floor. And that made Jacqueline nervous, so she went into her mother's bedroom. There she found Josephine scrawled sprawled across her bed, her throat slashed, and her head wrapped in a dress. Blood was everywhere, soaked the mattress. In the bathroom, several articles of Josephine's clothing and undergarments were in a pool of bloody water in the tub. Nothing was missing, except for some pocket change. Really? Mm-hmm. That seems like a very quick change of MO, because I am just assuming that it's the same guy you've been telling me about. <laughs> I don't know why you're thinking that. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Josephine Ross was 43 and had been divorced three times. Who has time for that? Right. She didn't work and spent her time going to the movies, visiting fortune tellers, and fighting with her ex-husband's insurance company. Okay. Since she didn't have any real income, she was getting married again and was engaged to a a man named Oscar and also had another guy as a backup in case Oscar didn't work out. Smart thinking. Mm -hmm. There was almost no evidence to go on to solve this murder. No fingerprints. Oscar had an airtight alibi and eyewitnesses that thought they'd seen somebody gave very differing accounts. And eight weeks after Josephine died, the police admitted they were stumped. That sucks. Yeah. Frances Brown was from Richmond, Indiana. She went to business school and she got a good job. And when World War II came around, she became a wave in the U.S. uh, Navy and was a telegrapher. Mm-hmm. She served for three years, and then when she went home, went back to her old job at the A.B. Dick Company. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm a teenage boy. I, I can't know. help it. A.B. <laughs> Dick. A.B. Dick. Yep. It sounds like an elementary school joke. <laughs> 100%. She lived with her roommate in an apartment on Pine Grove Avenue with uh, Viola Butler was her roommate. The evening of December 10th, 1945, was icy and cold when Frances arrived back at her apartment building around 9.30 at night. Uh, Viola wasn't... Is it Viola or Viola? It was Viola's instrument. I would think it's Viola. Like Violet? Viola? I don't know. know. We're going to Viola. Yeah. Anyway, whatever she called herself, she wasn't expected home. And when Frances arrived home, the desk clerk told her that a man had come by earlier inquiring for her, but left when he found out that she wasn't there. She went upstairs. She called her mom. She took a shower. She went to bed. Uh Uh-huh. The next day, the housemaid, Martha Engels, by the way, I never lived in an apartment with a bloody housemaid. 
Right. Um, so the housemaid, Martha, noticed that the apartment door was ajar and that the radio was playing far too loud for nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Which is any volume at all. Yes. She looked into the apartment and she found that Francis's bed was covered in blood and a trail of blood oh led to the bathroom. There, she found Frances stretched over the bathtub, her head wrapped in her pajamas, with a butcher knife in her neck and a bullet hole in her skull. Oh, gosh. In the living room, written in Frances's lipstick, were the words, For heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cop out. once again no valuables were taken and only one witness who thought he heard a gunshot at about 4 a.m there was a single bloody fingerprint on the door jam i mean that's something i guess it's something uh the next one sucks so we're gonna go through it quick Suzanne Degnan was the six-year-old daughter of Jim and Helen Degnan and had a sister, Betty. They had recently moved from Baltimore and lived on the first floor of a duplex in Chicago's Edgewater District. On January 6th, 1946, the Degnans had had a busy day and they came home late. Helen made the girls sandwiches and sent them to bed because the next day was the first day back at school after the winter holidays. Mr. and Mrs. Degnan woke up in the middle of the night thinking that they'd heard Suzanne make noise, but there was nothing else, so they went back to sleep. In the morning, Jim went to wake the girls up, and he thought it was weird that Suzanne's door was closed all the way because she was afraid of the dark, and she usually didn't close the door all the way. When he looked in, he found that her window was wide open and Suzanne was not there. The rest of the family looked all over the house, and then they asked the upstairs neighbors to have a look in their place, but she was gone, so they called the police. Now, the local police had been getting some heat for the amount of unsolved cases that they had going, so they really wanted to solve this one. So the apartment was soon swarming with police, and they found a few things. On Suzanne's bedroom floor, they first found what they thought was an old tissue. Gross. But it turned out to be a ransom note that said, get $20,000 ready and wait for word. Do not notify FBI or police. Bills in fives and tens. On the backside was a warning. Burn this for her safety. Outside the apartment, there was a ladder that just reached Suzanne's bedroom window, and they found that it had been recently stolen from a nursery several blocks away. They did not say whether it was a nursery for children or a nursery for plants. Probably plants. That seems like a more likely person to have a ladder. A ladder, yeah. Like, I hope that my child's preschool doesn't have a ladder because my kid will be at the top of that so fast. So fast. (laughs) The neighborhood was canvassed, but nothing was found until an anonymous caller told them to look in the sewers. Ugh. So they did, and they noticed that one of the manhole covers was non right. Two officers used their flashlights to look down into the manhole, and they found her head. Oh, God. Her torso and legs were found scattered in adjacent sewers that evening, and her arms weren't found for several more weeks. Oh, my gosh. A wash tub below a nearby apartment was determined to be the site of dismemberment as they found blood, flesh, and blonde hair in the drain. 
Again, there wasn't much evidence. Nothing seemed to come from the ransom note. There were differing eyewitness accounts. There was very little physical evidence. There was a fingerprint on the ransom note, um, which was found much later by the FBI. The local police couldn't find it, so it may or may not actually belong to the person who wrote the note. There were suspects. Did it match the other fingerprint that they found on the door jam? We'll get there. Okay. There were suspects and there were theories, but there were no answers. On June 26, so about six months later, 1946, William was arrested on attempted burglary charges. He fled the scene, and the building's caretaker was in pursuit, and then William waved a gun and said, let me get out, or I'll let you have it in the guts. Which should really be, like, in more 40s speak, like, let me get out, see, or I'll let you have it in the guts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also... no, thank you. Like, if no. you're going to shoot me, headshot, please. Not yeah. guts. Take me out. Yeah. So uh, the caretaker just let him get out with of that course. decision. Yeah. A resident in a nearby building saw him try to hide out and called the police. Eventually, he found himself on a staircase with a police officer above and a police officer below. And there are several versions of what happened on that staircase. The official version says that William charged the officers after his gun misfired twice and was stopped by an off-duty policeman dropping three clay flower pots on his head from above. (laughs) I want that that one. That's the best version right there. So that part is absolutely true. Um, The controversy is whether he threatened to shoot the officers, whether the officers brandished their weapons, whether he did anything at all. Like that part is under dispute, but the flower pots is 100% real. Yes. (laughs) It's like a cartoon. That's exactly what I thought when I was reading about it. It's you can see like Sylvester. Yes. (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah. William later said that he remembered drifting in and out of consciousness during questioning, which was held at Bridewell Hospital next to the Cook County Jail. (laughs) Okay. He later said that he was questioned around the clock for six days and was not allowed to see his parents or talk to a lawyer. Remember, he is 16. Oh, my God. That's right. Two psychiatrists gave him sodium pentothal. Oh, my God known as truth serum without a warrant or parental consent and interrogated him for three hours. He was strapped down, spread eagled, and there was a lot of beating. Uh, Because they were really, really desperate to solve something. Mm -hmm. So it soon occurred to him that he was being interrogated for more than just the burglaries. Now, he was in a haze. He had been severely beaten. He had taken sodium pentothal at this point. He has been, yeah, probably concussed, alone, you know, for four or five days at this point. And he's starting to realize he's being interrogated from, oh, so what I'm saying is, like, he is in and out of, like, awareness of what's even going on. Right, right. Um, so through the haze, he heard things like the names of victim victims, and he was asked why he'd done it and how he'd done it and why he liked to cut up little girls. Uh, and the more he protested, the harder the beatings. Yeah, of course. Yeah. On the fifth day, he was given a lumbar puncture without <gasps> anesthesia. Oh, my God. What in- for? Yes. Torture. 
I, there didn't seem to be a reason, but they very specifically said the one article that went more into it uh, said that generally when you have a lumbar puncture, and I'm going to take his word for it, it is under anesthesia. You are in recovery for several hours. You're not moving around for a while. So they gave him a lumbar puncture without anesthesia, immediately put him in a car to drive him over to police headquarters to take a polygraph test. But the person who was there to administer the polygraph test refused to do it because this guy was in too bad a shape. Well, and also, I mean, considering that a polygraph test really only measures like biometrics, it's not, even if it were accurate, which whatever that's, you know, but it wouldn't be like if. (laughs) Right. And also this is 1946. Well, like, you know, that. So the police thought that they had gotten something from all of the interrogations. Under the truth serum, the police said that William had taken blame for the murders. But other witnesses said that he never incriminated himself. And William himself said that he felt, quote, the strange compulsion to take the blame for all the charges pressed against me after the sodium pentothal. And the beatings. In the beatings, in the concussion, in the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the truth is, we're never going to know what happened in that room because all of the transcripts have vanished. Gee, shocking. Mm -hmm. Since William had confessed to the murder of Suzanne Degnan, the police started wondering whether he might be involved in those other unsolved murders. Convenient. Fingerprints were taken from the ransom note and from the bloodstain on the door jam of Francis Brown's apartment. The Chicago police soon announced that the prints matched William Hirons. Yeah, of course. They also brought in a handwriting analyst to say that the writing on a ransom note and on the wall of Francis Brown's apartment were made by the same hand, and that was the hand of William Hirons. Yeah, see, even if it was his, like at this point, it's no. I don't believe you. Yeah. Um, in the interim, uh, he was eventually moved to police headquarters over the Cook County Jail from the hospital. There, eventually, they did the polygraph test. According to the state's attorney, the results were inconclusive. Gee. Less than a week after William was apprehended, the state's attorney had built a strong case against him. Uh, now, bear in mind, he was not able to talk to any lawyers until the sixth day. The next day, they represented him at his arraignment, where he was charged with a bunch of burglaries in the murders of Josephine Ross, Francis Brown, and Suzanne Degnan. Bail was set at $270,000, and he was transferred to Cook County Jail. When he got there, he collapsed on the admissions desk and was hospitalized for 10 days. Yeah, no kidding. The Chicago Herald American had already decided that William was guilty, and they hired a popular female mystery writer slash research, Craig Rice, to produce a series of articles about the murder. (laughs) Of course. Might as well be fiction. Right. She spent a week poring over records and interviewing people, and then she told the newspaper that hired her that she didn't think he did it. Nice. But nobody listened to her. No. On Sunday, July 14th, the state attorney, his assistant, and William's lawyers came to a plea agreement. If William confessed to the murders, they'd give him one life sentence, which they also said if, even if he didn't get convicted of the murders, all of the burglary charges would have pinned him in for life anyway. 
Um, But if they charged him with everything or if he went to trial, he would be charged with all three and would get the death penalty. Right. Um, If he took the plea agreement, then there wouldn't be a trial and the state wouldn't have to condemn a 17-year-old child to death. Yeah. No details were actually ever released about the plea deal. So a local journalist wrote a fictional account complete with a full confession and people took it as truth, and then the other newspapers picked it up and reprinted it as the absolute truth. A little like H.H. H. Holmes. Sorry, I know we're not talking about him. Right. <laughs> so William, for whatever cockamamie reason, decided that confessing to the crime was his best bet, although until then he'd insisted that he'd never committed any of the, the murders. Right. With the assistance of his lawyers, he crafted it, and it ran largely along the same lines as the fictionalized account in the papers. Right. He was supposed to make this formal confession to the state's attorneys on July 30th, but at the last minute, he changed his mind and answered, I don't know or I don't remember to all of the questions that were asked. Um, I want to let you know that I have glossed over a lot in this story, but something that you need to be aware of at this point is that the state attorney was a giant dick. I mean, I'm feeling that way about pretty much everybody on that side of the table at this point. Well, yes. So he was all pissed off that he thought he had a confession and William was supposed to come deliver it to him and it was going to be solved and everything was going to be great and he was going to be a hero. And then William got there and and he wouldn't answer anything. He didn't know. He didn't remember. So in response, this asshole changed the terms of the plea agreement to three life sentences. And William's attorneys were also pretty mad about this sudden change of heart and kept reminding him that the electric chair was a very real possibility. So on August 7th, he made a full confession. Sentencing took place on September 4th with William's family and the families of the victims present. Mary Jane Blanchard, who was Josephine Ross's daughter, the first murder victim, said Mm -hmm. that she thought he was innocent. Yeah, I was going to say that can't have been satisfying for them. No. Like, you're not, the bad guy is not going away. It doesn't matter if someone is. Right. So she was quoted as saying, I cannot believe that young Hirons murdered my mother. He just does not fit into the picture of my mother's death. I have looked at all the things Hirons stole, and there was nothing of my mother's things among them. Right. And this person didn't steal anything, which is very unlike him. Right. Because it had been such a long day with all of the charges being read and pleaded, the actual sentencing was postponed to the next day. William tried to hang himself that night, but was unsuccessful. And the following day, he was pronounced guilty of all charges and sentenced. William was a model prisoner. He was made overseer of garment manufacturing. And because he took courses in radio and television repair, he was soon given his own repair shop. In 1972, he became the first Illinois inmate to earn a college degree. Hmm. He then assisted in the development of educational programs and helped other inmates get their GEDs. He was never granted parole. With one member of the parole board stating at a hearing in 2007, God will forgive you, but the state won't. Yeah. William George Hiron died at the age of 83 on March 5th, 2012, having spent more than 65 years in prison, making him Chicago's longest serving prisoner. For crimes he almost definitely did not commit. Oh, it's like you're reading my notes. (laughs) So did he kill any of those people? Did he kill all of those people? The evidence is really limited. 
the fingerprints that were found on the ransom note and on the uh, door jam were only matched at nine points, not the 12 points that the FBI required at the time. And the matching areas were also the loop patterns, and 65% of the general public has the same loop pattern. Really? Yes, which is what I wanted to tell you yesterday when you were drawing that fingerprint. Yes, and I was like, does anyone know anything about fingerprints? And you didn't say anything. Yeah, no. The first handwriting expert called in said that the individual characteristics in the two writings do not compare in any respect. Oh, God. So the police called another expert, Herbert J. Walter, who was the handwriting expert that helped helped jail the murderer of the Lindbergh baby 20 years before. Mm. He stated that William had undoubtedly authored both the ransom note and the message on the wall. Interestingly, before William was arrested, Walter had been asked if he thought the ransom note and the lipstick matched, and he did not. Yeah, gee. Mm-hmm. Quite a change the, of heart. Yeah. The polygraph was considered to be inconclusive at the time that it was administered. However, in 1953, the inventors of the polygraph had a look at the results because they were published in a textbook and concluded on the basis of the conventional testing theory, his response on the card test clearly establishes him as an innocent person. Oh, my God. A known child molester and criminal confessed to the Degnan murder, which was very similar to his usual M.O. Many of the mm-hmm. phrases in an extortion document he'd written previously matched phrases with the ransom note. Also, he confessed. Right. He Presumably was conf- without beatings and concussions and lumbar punctures for no apparent reason. And- right. No, he had been considered the main suspect because it was his, this whole thing was his normal MO. Right. But after William was arrested, his confession was considered the ravings of a madman. I am so mad, Diana. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> oh. 29 inconsistencies have been documented between the known facts and William's confession. Well, of course, if you're just making it up. Mm-hmm. So what we have here are three, two still unsolved murders. I don't know how they ever hooked the three of them together because the first two could definitely be linked. The third was entirely different. Yeah. Different MO, different audience, different motivation. Yeah. Everything was wrong. Everything yeah. was wrong. Um, But they needed the handwriting on the ransom note to go with the handwriting on the wall and they could pretty definitively conclude that those two murders were committed by the same person because there were so many similarities like that's not much of a leap but how they connected the three of those murders together and how they connected him to any of them is a fucking mystery yeah just opportunity I think so, because nothing I read said that they had any inclination that he had had prior violent behavior, that, you know, some of the women's belongings had shown up in his collection because we know he never sold anything. Right. And he took everything like that was what he did. He took shit. Well, right. But he also didn't get caught. Like it was only the last time that he got caught committing the burglary. Yeah. The first time he got caught with the loaded gun, like he was walking through the park and looked suspicious. And the cop was like, what you got there? And it was a gun. Like, that's how he got nailed. 
Right. Um, he never sold anything. He never tried to fence anything. Apparently, um, he had a buddy that was helping out with the savings bond thing or the war bonds. Mm-hmm. And the buddy's like, hey, like, you you steal really nice shit. You should fence it. And apparently his response was like, that seems like a lot of work. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, he didn't want to get involved in the, the underground. He didn't want to learn about fencing. Like... He, he I, just wanted to take shit. I think he was a thrill stealer. Yeah. Like, I don't think there was anything nefarious. I think he had a shit childhood. I think he figured out he was really good at this thing. And again, he was really mechanically inclined. He could yeah. figure out how to get in and out and not leave. It. Like, he never left evidence. Well, um, and it could even have been a compulsion with the kind of childhood that he had. Like, it, that could just be how he sought control in his world, period. Somebody actually wrote about that in one of the articles I read, and they kind of dismissed this because it wasn't a constant compulsion. It was only when he was with his family. So when he was at college, when he was at school, when he was at juvie, all of that behavior ceased. And he said he didn't miss it. Like, he didn't want to. I guess so. But that also makes sense. Like that would have been where his life was totally out of his control and things went horribly. It could be. Although it doesn't sound like things were like he wasn't abused. They always had yeah. enough, if not much. Like I was just he, thinking like the fighting and the. Well, right. But he always described it as like, I mean, like a retired guy. Well, it's a way for me to get out of the house while the wife watches soap operas. Like that's mm. always how he described it is my parents would start fighting. I'd go steal some shit to get out of the house. Right. So maybe he wasn't super in touch with his feelings because it was the 40s. Uh, you <laughs> know, maybe it was related. Maybe he just found something that he was good at and gave him a thrill. And why not? And then yeah. when he was fulfilled in other ways, he didn't have to. Yeah. That's so tragic. Yeah. And there's no way he like. Oh, there's, it, it there's no be. escalation. There's no, like, no, it no. wasn't him, period, at all. And right. somebody who was at the base of it seemed like a decent human, except for all the stealing. Well, right. But never hurt anybody, like right. tried to better himself, even though he knew damn well he was going to die in prison, tried to better the other people that were in there, created programs, yeah. made use for himself. Like he would have been a great member of society. He would have, you know, gone to college and been an engineer. Yeah. And maybe been fulfilled enough that he stopped breaking into people's houses. That's, God, that's such a frustrating story. It's super frustrating. But I had never heard of him. Uh, and he got so, a pretty sweet name for having nothing to do with the crimes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Huh. I had only ever heard the name. I didn't know any of the story behind it. But that is just... It's just awful. Like, that's just awful. Yeah, it's awful. Um, I think the guy that confessed to the little girl's murder got in for something else. Well, um, good, because... Although it sounds like he should have been kept in prior to that. Well, yes. And of like, course, maybe when he confessed. Right. Um, and the other two are still unsolved. I mean, they are technically solved, so they will remain unsolved. So they couldn't have cleared him, like posthumously like they do that I covered a story like that not too long ago I think I feel I like I did <laughs> where they went back and I don't know that there's been any movement to it 
Um, it seems like it's largely forgotten. There was an interview with him in the 90s. Um, and That's I don't so know, awful. you know, the the first murdered woman's children were grown ups or thereabout in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And the other woman, yeah. you know, has family, presumably, but no children. There might not be any one left. And there's and yeah, there is no so. evidence, you know, would they reclassify it based on he clearly didn't do it, but we don't know who. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's just it's just yeah, so frustrating it would. and it wouldn't matter. I mean, it would it would maybe matter to well, someone. But and the thing that's super shitty is that he took the plea agreement. And there's no appeal to that. True. Yeah. You know, if he'd gone through the trial, he may or may not have been convicted, depending on what went down there, but he could have appealed. And I say this with great hope, found a judge that wasn't a complete shit stain and actually reviewed the no evidence. Right. Because even, I mean, the polygraph people looked in the 50s and said, yeah, this man is clearly innocent. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, 60 years before he died. Right. Yeah. God, that's frustrating. Yeah. And I don't know. It's so you know, tragic. There, there's at least one book written on it. And obviously I did not read it. Um, you know, I don't know if he tried any other means, if he went to the governor or if there's some other way to get out of it. But I mean, again, it, the plea agreement should have been overturned. He was a minor. Yeah. He did not have lawyers until the day before he had to agree to it. His parents were never consulted. He wasn't able to consult with his parents or lawyers. Like the whole thing is fucking illegal. Right. Right. He, even if he had been guilty, I feel like a decent lawyer and a fair judge, he would have been released, which is a whole other issue. But at the same time, like he just should have been released. And where would a decent lawyer have come from? I mean, I obviously, these guys did a bad job because they knew damn well he was innocent. And they still helped him craft a confession. Yeah. And his parents had no money. Yeah. No, it's true. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is it better when you know you're innocent to go for a trial? I mean, the other thing they had hanging over his head, too, is the burglaries. And they said that he'd get life for all of the burglaries. Again, he was 16. And yeah. he could have given everything back. Like... Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. It again, almost seems better or more fair. And maybe that's, maybe that's it. Maybe he just figured, well, I did do this and the punishment for doing this is life. And so even though I'm getting it based on something not true, like I still deserve it. I mean, I don't, right, I don't think, I think that I he still... did, but you know, that was the consequence for the action that he was guilty of. Right. But I think that if my options were life without the possibility of parole or a trial, I'd roll the dice. Yeah, but maybe not if you had just, I mean, the people telling him that he needed to take a plea deal or he was going to the electric chair, I'm sure were first the same police who were beating him and dropped flower pot on his head, which was real funny until you told the end of that story. 
Well, and even his lawyers are like, dude, you're going to the chair. Yeah, right. Like, that's it. We can't get you off this. You're going to the chair. Right. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, they were super shitty lawyers. But I feel like he was probably terrified and would have done... Uh, the only friendly faces he would have had at all were the lawyers, right? And and they said, you're doomed. And, and so, yeah. I, I don't well, know that I wouldn't I guess- agree with them. I'd be like, well, that is seriously shit luck. But at this point... Well, I suppose I say that as a middle-aged woman who would get her parents to help her pay for a really good lawyer. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and living in you an know. era with a whole lot more scientific, you know, evidence gathering methods. I don't know that we can claim that. Um, no, but I... They I think so our methods are better, but I'm not sure that the layman's understanding of how it all works is any better. Yeah. Because, you know, polygraph was still new at that time. Fingerprints were still new at that time. That's true. That's true. You know? Well, yeah, and handwriting and even look at even look at things like OJ, where his DNA was all over the things, and the jurors there were like, we're not real sure this is a proven science yet. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I just would like to believe that the justice system does what it's supposed to do. Yet again, this is the exact reason why I think the death penalty is just, I mean, I don't even need to think about whether morally it's okay. I, It can't happen because no. he could have been put to death with zero evidence and just a bunch mm-hmm. of made up shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like people are every day. Yeah. That sucks a lot. Diana, you're a downer. I usually am. (laughs) (laughs) You started this episode so great with your reviews and your patrons and the stickers and the, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's see how Everything's all good until somebody goes to prison for 65 years for no reason. Yeah. Do you at least have a call to action for us? Can we do something? So if you are feeling in the place that you want to get out of the house and do some stealing, what I would suggest is reach out to one of your community's fine resources available for mental health help. Yes. Um, If you have health insurance, you probably have a nurse line that is available to you. If you or a family member is employed somewhere, you probably have an employee assistance program that can help you out. If there is a county nurse, give them a call. If worse comes to worse, call us. Yeah. Go to your local ER. Please get the help that you need and deserve. Do not steal shit from people. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Or any other essentially self-destructive behaviors. Yes, please. If you don't know where to go, come to us. We will help you. Yeah. I think that's a good, I think that's a good call out. Also, it's fine. It's fine to do. Seeking help for your mental health. (laughs) No, not stealing and shit. (laughs) I was like, I am usually the one that is encouraging the the bad behavior. (laughs) I'm encouraging the seeking help for mental health so that you don't do the bad behavior. Oh my God. You guys, Diana Seacon is brought to you by therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Call your people. Call your people. Check in on them. Make sure they're not stealing shit. Also, if your 16-year-old doesn't come home for days and days, like, call your people. Call around. Figure out if they are being held and beaten and subjected to medical things. 
Yeah. Um, also, like, I struggle when the appropriate age to give my kid a phone is, but I feel like 16 is above that age, so give your kid a damn phone. Yeah, I think that, that sounds like a good plan, although I will I will point out that that was not an option for our our victim slash well, perp slash whatever the hell he was, but yes, yeah, now it is, is so, and then you could call them directly. It's true. It's true. Call your people, check in on them. Days are getting shorter. People are going to start getting bummed out. Yeah. Be good to each other. Yeah. And don't end up on next week's episode.